Hello. My name is Tucker Johnson, and this is Nimsy Live. You're probably sick of seeing me because I feel like I've been doing these live streams all day, which I have. And that's awesome because today we are talking to Jesse Glaceman from a Corby. And we're talking about cybersecurity, hacking, language services, and everything related to this that we need to know in the language services industry in order to um, better inform our clients if we're LSPs, better to inform our our stakeholders if we are um, working on the client side in the globalization department. If you're watching NIMSY Live, then... I would encourage you to subscribe to Nimsy wherever you are, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We've been having some technical difficulties today, so a lot of folks might be finding their way into this event um, because LinkedIn and Restream decided not to play very very nicely together. And that's okay. We're gonna we're gonna keep going here. Um Nimsy Live. We are experiencing Nimsy Live, where we get together and talk about the latest and greatest in localization, translation, internationalization, culturalization, and all of those great things that international customers need in order, or international companies need not to piss off their customers too much. I'm sorry, guys. I'm running on fumes here. As I mentioned, my, my guest today is Nika Aliverdi, according to the name tag there, which I didn't update. Jesse, we're off to a good start. How are you, sir? I'm going to dive right in. I'm not going to. I'm not going to plug like 19 things and go over events calendars because I've already done all that today. I'm going to jump right into it today and say thank you so much for for joining us today. We're happy to be here. Yeah, tell tell me a little bit about yourself while I while I fix that title of yours. <laughs> yep, sounds good. Yeah, so I'm Jesse Glazman. I'm the uh, information systems and security director for Corby. Um, started there probably about eight nine months ago. I've kind of been working my way through language services. Um, it's kind of new to me. I've mostly been working in manufacturing up until this point, so I'm learning the ropes. So you're a new a guy. The, uh, the words y'all use. Yeah. So so you're like, you're a new guy to all of this. Yeah. Fresh fresh bait for for the for the rest of us. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. Well, welcome to our industry. So how long have you been doing this with us? Yeah, about eight nine months, something like that. About eight nine months. All right. What, what's the it's out of curiosity? What 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 are your impressions so far? I love talking to people from outside of the industry and getting their impressions because, of course, our 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 industry, the localization industry, is a special and unique snowflake. And I love hearing from other people about how special I we are. Think you you nailed it. Is a special and unique. Is snowflake. it really okay? I, it I, I say that somewhat you sarcastically. I've never worked in before and. There is a lot of new stuff to learn, a lot of new acronyms and titles, and it's a lot more complex than I ever imagined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Well, just, I mean, speaking of complex, I mean, localization is kind of my world, but I want to talk to you about your world today because um, I want to learn something from you today. C- cybersecurity, hacking, I mean, we use the term hacking in the thumbnail, which, of course, is you know a loaded term sure. and all this stuff. It's an attention grabber. It's an attention grabber. I'm a marketer at heart, so I make my own thumbnails. Um, but what is the reality around this? Because I think to a, to a lot of folks out there, myself included, when we think of cybersecurity, we think of hacking, 
we think of either something that like governments do that we'll never notice, it's never see the light of day, or we think of like the Matrix, or maybe not like the Matrix, but like you know Hollywood, the heist films, the hacker at the keyboard, and doing doing all of that stuff. We have no idea what is actually going on, what the actual threats are out there. So maybe yeah, we can you, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, usually people kind of like classify it as you know some you know guy sitting in his mom's basement just yeah. hacking away at a computer doesn't see the light of day, yeah. you know, yeah. very pale skin. Uh, the, the reality <laughs> is this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are full corporations, uh, staff, they have vacation, they have, you know, 401ks, just like everybody else. The hackers. I mean, yes. Eh, really? Yep. Where, is, where, where are they coming from? Are they domestic? Uh, are they international? Over. Are they? International. Yep. I mean, we, we still have them here. <laughs> Not quite in the same fashion, but I mean, there are groups that are here. And now are, are these but, the same people that are like calling my dear mother, pretending to be me, asking for bail money? Well, those are scammers. Okay. <laughs> kind of the same thing, but so, just So it's not like a, Well, you yeah. said that they were like companies with 401ks. I think yeah, like maybe that was a separate department, right? That was the <laughs> Yeah, but all, all doing the same thing. Who are they targeting? Who are they going after? Uh, well, that's the thing. They're targeting everybody. I mean, nobody's safe. Right. I mean, out on the internet, I mean, unless there's something specific that ties you to a certain address or something like that, everyone's a target. Um, you know, I take LSPs for an example. I mean, we're not financial institutions. We're not medical. I mean, you're more of a target of opportunity than you are anything else. Mm -hmm. So say, hey, I'm going to send you a spam phishing mail and you click on the link, download the file or answer the put in your credentials. And the next thing you know, they've got access to your network and off they go stealing information, ransomware, whatever it is they want to do. And, and to LSP, so how, how are LSPs at risk? What are, what are the typical things that hackers, what, what's the goal? What's the end game? The goal is always the same. So a uh, little antidote, you know, um, before I started working here, I worked for a company that made bricks. And everywhere I go, people are like, Jesse, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, I do cybersecurity for a company that manufactures bricks, like bricks on your house. And they're like, why would a brick company need cybersecurity? Because in the end, we're all the same. We have employee data, we have PII, we have credit card information. Mm -hmm. I mean, and basically PII for our listeners people. out there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, personal from, identifiable information. Weren't you the guy that was complaining from about all of our our acronyms? Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget I have my own. Yeah, and LSPs really do. We collect a lot of data. I mean, we have yeah, data for all of our. Data than I yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's our supply chain. Right. Every LSP out there bragging about we've got 20,000 translators and blah, 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 blah. That's 20,000 PIIs, PIIs, personally mm -hmm. identifiable information. That's 20,000 things to steal um, in multiple countries around the world. Not to mention client base. I mean, yeah, now that I think about it, LSPs are a pretty ripe target. Yeah. <laughs> so how often does this happen? How often have you seen this happen? Like what, what's the, the real risk assessment? And I can imagine it's like, well, even if it's a 0 0.1 risk assessment, it sucks when it does happen. So you still need to prepare for it. But sure. is it is it a useful conversation to talk in terms of like probability, like what the probability of you getting hacked or anything like that? Or does it just depend on too many factors? To, to be honest, in the industry, we don't say it's not if, it's when. Oh, Everyone's really? going to have their day. And the average cost of a uh, breach last year was about $2.5 million. Jeez Louise. I mean, by the time you handle notification to all your clients, um, bringing in forensics and everything else to address the situation, putting in the tools you need, 
Yeah, you're sitting about 2.5 million, not counting brand tarnishing. Yeah, sure, sure. And would those cost, where do those costs come from? So you say you you prescribe a, a cost to it, 2.5 million dollars. What where does that go? Is that going to lawyers, IT guys, pay, lawyers, paying yep. ransoms? Yeah, lawyers, lawyers take a lot of them. Um, like I said, paying ransoms. Budget, <laughs> but it's very possible. Um, I was referring to lawyers, the lawyers. Uh, notifications. So basically, you have to notify all your clients that you've been breached. Yeah. And if their information was breached, you actually have to supply like credit monitoring. And depending on what, what state you're in, you have to supply. And, that, and that's here in the states. That's not GDPR. Yes. That's domestic. No, that's not even GDPR. Mm-hmm. That's just in the states. Oh, wow. So that's very common. Then again, you have to bring in a forensics team to go in and like sort through everything, try and find where the breach happened. What did they take if they took anything? And then, like you said, you know, now you got to address the, the question of, do you pay the ransom or not? Yeah. And do you? No, I don't pay the ransom. Well, I mean, do people though? Do people do. People uh, do. I know of several companies that have, um, you're looking at a company that is basically their information has been held for ransom. And it's either basically do or die. Like the company will not exist if they don't pay the ransom Mm. because they had poor backups or they had, you know, something in place they could not recover from that someone has stolen or locked down. They have no choice but to pay the ransom. And somewhere usually it runs around 250,000 to a million dollars. And, and what, what's the role of quote unquote, the authorities? First of all, who are the authorities? Um, Uh, Usually the FBI. FBI and are they helpful? I'm afraid to say what what I think. Yeah, I was going to say try not to tarnish any <laughs> network reputations you may have. They're, they're not not helpful. Yeah. But I well, mean, I mean, it's like I definitely could do a lot more, but there's so much out there. There's no way they can keep up with it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's like if someone breaks the window on my truck and steals my backpack, the Seattle police doesn't send a squadron to my home yeah, to investigate. Yeah, a, a detective to take you know. Yeah. Yeah. They sent, they have an intern call me a week later <laughs> and ask for my license plate number. Yep. You've already got a new windshield by then. Yeah. 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 So you came on to, you came on into Corby nine months ago. How, how'd you hear about a Corby? How'd you hear about the language services industry? Is it just, you, you knew a guy who knew a guy? I knew a guy who knew a guy. That's exactly it. And so they were looking for some help. I said, I'll talk to them. Next thing I know, we're uh, we're sitting here. So, and what are you what are you doing over there? Are you so your role is? Are you of course? I'm sure you're protecting a Corby's assets and annoying annoying all of the PMs with all of your procedures and regulations, is, which is yep. your job. But above and beyond that, are you doing anything with a Corby's customers? Are you providing services or consultation to them? Um, how does uh, this affect your customers? I, I, is my my question. A lot of times I work in more of that SME role, like as a subject matter expert for, you know, RFPs and things like that, uh, questionnaires. I mean, we get a lot of these third-party questionnaires that we have to fill out. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of my time. What are these? Um, and I just did a workshop, and well, I'm, I'll be publishing it soon as an e-learning on request for proposals, um, writing good request for proposals and stuff. And I have a few jokes at the expense of legal and infosec departments in, in that workshop. But what are and in that workshop we review some of you know the standard things that you need to be asking vendors during the RFP process. It sounds like you you respond to those as well. What are some of the good questions 
that clients are asking out there during the RFP process? And what are some of the questions that are like, eh, this isn't really going to get you what you want? Yeah, I mean, so some of the good ones are about how you onboard, offboard employees or associates, whatever you want to call them, you know, because that, that's important, right? Access control. You know, we can't have somebody leave the company for a month and still have access into the system. So that's kind of a critical component. Um, when we do things like um, anti-malware, mm. that's critical to have, right? You can't be running around with machines with no fire protection on them. Um, some of the things they pick on, I'd say that really aren't that necessary. Um, vulnerability assessments. Mm -hmm. uh, let's be honest, in the world of computers, when you have hundreds of systems, you're going to have thousands of vulnerabilities. Yeah. Right. They're not all legitimate just because something's vulnerable. A lot of times different things have to be in place for that to actually take place or to work. So just pumping out a report that says there's a thousand twenty four vulnerabilities. It, it's kind of garbage information. Yeah. Yeah. So what can what can be you you mentioned employees coming coming and going. That, that's a common thing. Are people walking around there with access out there? Um and what's going through my mind, I'm having a hard time focusing on my questions for this interview because he got me thinking about, oh, shit, maybe I shouldn't be storing all of my passwords in a text file on my Google Drive, which I don't. No, I'm no. joking, people. Or just the same password for everything. Right? Well, yeah, it's a short text file. <laughs> um, at what – just being a realist here. Just being a realist. LSPs in our industry, localization companies are – I mean, it's changing now, but typically the landscape has been, it's like localization companies get founded and they evolve into the behemoths that are the Accorbys mm -hmm. of today. And I was trying to find a Corby because I know you guys are ranked on the Nimsy 100 here. Um, and I'm seeing where you are. Yeah, you're the 44th largest language services provider in the world with a turnover of 47.5 million, according to the NIMSI 100. I'm not asking you for comment on that if you're not authorized. But um, I'm not authorized to answer, so. Yeah, <laughs> good answer. So, so I'm, I'm reporting the news. A Corby is 47.5 million on the NIMSI 100 for 2022. So you're not a small company. You're not a huge company. You're not trends perfect who just surpassed a billion, right? But um, at one point, you were a translator with more demand than hours in the day who hired a second translator and a third translator and grew it into a company. I know the whole backstory down in Texas because um, Renato's told me he's known those guys forever. Um, I say all that to ask a question. At what stage in a company's growth do they need to really start taking a look at their cybersecurity practices? And what does that look like? Um, and I can use, we can use Nimsy as an example. Nimsy started out with two broke guys with a WordPress site. Um, and now we have like 50 people around the world or something like that. At some point in there, I'm thinking we should have sat down and said, hmm, maybe we need to talk about this. Maybe we need to bring in an expert. Maybe we need to take a look at our cybersecurity policies. Where's that point? What's the turnover? What's the employee headcount? What's the where? Well, I mean, you're asking the security guy. So, you know, the answer is, yeah, I already it, know the right? answer. It, it should be interlaced into the framework and decisions should be based, you know, it's like, a, it's like asking your doctor how many cigarettes a day is reasonable, right? So, I mean, really, there, there does become kind of a tipping point when you got to start focusing on developing out 
I mean, and that's the problem with growth, right? You know, growth is just an accelerant. Yeah. So if you're pointing in the wrong direction, you're just going to accelerate further in the wrong direction. Yeah. So if you have no security practices you or the wrong ones, it's only going to get worse. So I don't know that there's a certain head count to be at. It's it's more of a certain amount of risk. Yeah. You know, what, what are you holding? What information do you have? You know, if someone were to get hold of this, is that critical? Could this ruin the company? Could this shut us down? Those kinds of questions. Yeah. I mean, you could have 600 employees and have zero risk, depending on what you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, um, and it's important to have, I mean, and you're this guy for a Corby, it's important to have somebody who's responsible for this, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Or, um, no, it is. Because companies where this is, you know, this responsibility is diffused amongst multiple people, or it's not clear, you know, who gets fired if we get hacked. I mean, I hyperbole, right? But um, whose neck is on the chopping block? Whose butt is on the line? Stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and, and also, I mean, that's usually how it goes. Somebody's got to get blamed for it, right? Yeah. So usually somebody gets cut. I mean, now it's me because that's pretty clear. <laughs> but, you know, it, it does. It usually works that way. So it, it's important to have somebody who drives these decisions and, and also helps to, like, affect that culture. You know, where I was kind of saying in the beginning, it needs to be part of that framework, you know, where it's part of the decision-making process. So everything you do moving forward, you think about security. I mean, in, in today's world, you know, you walk into a building, there's a fire suppression system. Nobody thinks anything of it now because that's a requirement, right? It's just built in. You know, when the architect draws it out, they just do it in there. Security just needs to be in that same framework where it's like, this is just something we do now. So you use this term culture. 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 Talk to me about the culture of a company. How, how important is that in um, security and how do you change it? Well, so there's a couple of problems with culture, mm. right? So in the security culture, usually we think of security as the more security we add, the harder things are to do. Right. Mm -hmm. The more hoops you got to jump through, I got to do something like two factor where I get my phone out and click on it and say, yes, that's me, you know, and it complicates things. Mm -hmm. So trying to get people to understand, you know, what security is bringing to the table and how that offsets, you know, that one time you got to push a button on your phone saying, yes, that's me, yeah. you know, and the importance that drives that you got to do that in the culture. And the other thing is, is understanding that security is more than just compliance. Okay. Right. I mean, you look at PCI, HIPAA, any of these. How, how do you get that message across? How do you, but I mean, how do you, how do you convince someone that getting burned hurts if they've never been burned before? Right? Let's say, yeah, the easy way would be if they got burned before. Right. That's when all of a sudden the tables turn and there's funds available. I don't leave my backpack in my truck anymore. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's all it takes. Yeah. But honestly, you no, know, a lot of it is actually just doing things like, I mean, we do things like penetration tests. Right. So we hire another outside company. Is, to this, come is a, in this is a family show. Be careful. <laughs> Sorry. So we'll call it a pen test. <laughs> okay. There we go. Right? So we hired this outside company to come in, try and break into the network and see what they can get into, see what they can steal. Uh -huh. Right. And then you take that information, equate that to dollars and how much that could actually affect a company in the end. And, and all of a sudden it starts being more qualitative. Mm -hmm. uh, are there, um, it sounds like an internal thing. What's the difference? Is this something that needs a Jesse Glazeman? Or is this something that you can outsource? Because our, our industry outsources everything. That's not a core competency, it seems like. We're, we're, big in, we're big on outsourcing in our industry. 
Um, yeah. Is this something that can be outsourced to like a it's, firm? Are there firms that, that manage this for people or for companies? Yeah, it's definitely something that can be outsourced. In fact, there's thousands of companies popping up all the time that do this exact same thing. I mean, they even, you know, wrench out like a, basically like a CISO or a chief information security officer who will come in, sit with y'all for a few months, go through everything, make sure, you know, the right programs are put in place. And once the program's in place, it's just somebody on the outside maintains it. Um, there are definitely tons of companies that do that. It's really just whatever you feel is necessary for. Yeah, we, we had that done at one point. Now that I remember it, it was years ago at NIMSI. Um, we had these guys come in and they sat with us for three days and just asked questions, mm-hmm. asked questions and asked questions. And at the end, they gave us like a hundred page security compliance report but making recommendations and stuff but then at that point it was kind of like all right good luck guys here, here you go like this is what you need yep. to do um call me if you have any questions they weren't going to do much on it um for more, t- more like an audit yeah it was basically an audit and yep. to your point about you know security is more than compliance I, i'm i'm just i'm just being honest but like where i'm at like i think my headspace is still in like uh, security is a pain in the ass. Security is compliance, right? Security isn't blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying I have the right opinion. I'm just saying like that's my my bias that I should probably really be fighting against. Um, and yeah, so you need somebody in your company who takes this seriously because otherwise that report like that we get from the external auditors is just going to sit there. So we've got to... It goes in the drawer and... Yeah, yeah it just collects dust. And we've got this... Uh, We've our CIOs over in where is he? He's in Poland, right? Um, and he's just great. He contacts me all the time. He's like Tucker, like why are you, why are you storing passwords in a Google Sheet? Because I was, because I was. And I'm like, how'd you find that? Uh, he's like, uh, it's my job. But there's people out there that are smarter than me, <laughs> that are yeah. better than me. <laughs> so please don't do this. <laughs> but yeah, it's um. <sighs> It's a different world. It's a different world. And really I, is. I, you know, talking to you, I'm, I'm getting an idea, I think, of what it might be like for some people that don't understand localization, or I should say, don't understand the importance of localization and trying to explain to them the importance of localization. Mm-hmm. Because perhaps that's the parallel to draw here is that localization and security, um, what these two fields have in common is that they're not understood and they're not appreciated although they really should be. Yep. Yeah. Well, Mr. Jesse, um, if where, where else do we go from here? I'm, I'm out of questions, sir. You've, you've scared me out of all of my questions. And all I can think about right now is all of those passwords of mine floating around. Yeah. I mean, we, we can get scared some more if you want. Yeah. <laughs> We can, mm-hmm. we can go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot going on today that yeah, let's, changes our mentalities. Let's go there, right? Let's go there with uh, everything that's happening in, in Ukraine right now. And that's not the topic of this show, but multilingual media is doing great reporting. If anyone wants to go see how um, the conflict in the war in Ukraine is affecting the language services industry, go check out multilingual.com. Um but since I've got you here with me, 
What are some of the, because I read in the news, you know, Putin attacked by land, air, sea, and cybersecurity and misinformation yep. campaigns. And, you know, it's, it's modern warfare. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy how all of a sudden cybersecurity has become this entirely different vector of attack all to itself. Um, I, I mean, we look at what's going on now. Um, they, R Russia pushed out some malware, infected over 100 machines, shut them down, ransomware, locked them up, you know, and, and so far that's been about the end of their approach. But the potential of what can happen is much greater than what we saw. Right, because they've pushed this out and it's gone onto 100 machines. Well, unfortunately, malware, viruses, things like this aren't really geographically contained, right? So that could come yeah. over to our side, that could go into Poland, that could go into Germany, that could go anywhere and start infecting these machines outside who is, aren't even involved. Is this stuff that can spread autonomously or does it require someone to actually spread it? You mean like no, it, it usually spreads autonomously. Oh, so it looks for what, what we call a vulnerability, which is like, if you don't patch your computers or whatever, there's some code that's wrong. It'll manipulate that code and inject itself into the system. And it can use that to actually move from system to system to system and infect tons of systems. Um, back in like 2010, we kind of saw the same thing. Uh, several of the countries got together and made a virus program called Stuxnet. You may have heard of this. And uh, basically what Stuxnet was designed to do was go into the Iranian nuclear centrifuges and shut them down. Oh. It would feed the systems misinformation, spin them up way too fast until they actually destroyed themselves. And which was all great until Stuxnet got out in the wild somehow and infected over 200,000 machines and destroyed about a thousand pieces of manufacturing equipment that wasn't even in Iran. So, I mean, the, the potential of this actually getting out and moving around is very possible. Uh, you know, it's parallel. It's biological warfare against machines okay yeah. it's um what you know, on, on the international stage you know and stop me if this isn't your wheelhouse i don't want to put you on the spot here but on the international stage these different government actors that that are um engaging in cyber attacks and whatnot what sort of international treaties regulations rules and sarah i love that you're commenting we're going to get to your questions don't worry what are some of the um, guidelines, best practices, rules, regulations, treaties? Um, I don't even know the right word for it in the international community that kind of we can all agree upon. Yeah, honestly, I mean, kind of like most of security, the laws are behind the curve. Yeah. Um, within NATO. Well, security is a some... lot like localization. <laughs> the more yeah. you talk about security, the more I'm like, yeah. like really familiar. We're brothers from another mother here. This is, it's, it's all one thing. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're, you're fine. But yeah, within NATO, there are some rules that actually apply and sanctions that they can apply within that realm. And, and again, I mean, we do have control of the internet. If we want to shut off a particular country, we can, but you have to understand what the ramifications of that will be. I mean, if all of a sudden we wake up tomorrow and we can no longer communicate with Russia. Yeah, that would be bad right now. Yeah, yeah, we might have services that are hosted there or run through there, and all of a sudden you can't get them tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, that definitely changes the game. And a lot of people, you know, we build these uh, backup contingency plans and we, we don't account for something like this, like war or, to be honest, I mean, very easily there are cables that run in the ocean 
and a well-placed submarine with a torpedo could blow one of those up and we would be an island unto ourselves. And if we couldn't talk to the rest of the world, what is your backup contingency for that? Do you have data centers in other parts of the world? Who makes the authorization to start those or run those? I mean, how do you pay your employees? You can't even make phone calls at this point. And that's a big challenge we're having right now with how to pay employees. I know a lot of folks have been sending advance payments to Ukraine, or their Ukrainian mm-hmm. colleagues, um, Russian as well. We've been sending advance payments to our Russian colleagues because we don't know when that's going to get chopped off. I don't know if, if we still can even send stuff. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. But it's horrible because our industry not only requires – people collaborating and communicating across borders it's mm-hmm. like that's our raison d'etre I, I don't speak french that's our reason to exist right that's that's our that's what we do and when that starts getting shut down it's i don't want to say it's uncharted territory because i haven't been around forever but it's it's scary i don't like it no me no, yeah, me, no I, me gusta <laughs> yeah if we lost all communication to the rest of the world this industry would be very difficult to survive. Yeah. I mean, there are several things, you know, where it runs within the country and, you know, everybody will be fine manufacturing things like that. But I mean, we thrive on the help and use of people in other countries constantly. I mean, that would be devastating for LSPs. Yeah. Let's Both look, let's look at some of these questions that we got here. Hi, Oscar. Oscar actually, Oscar has been doing a lot of great coverage follow Oscar Kuros on LinkedIn a lot of great coverage on what's happening in Ukraine right now um, as well. And I was just talking to him on the live stream yesterday. Um, Maria Castillo um, asked, is Apple security safe to use and do I need another security system? I'm assuming you're talking about lap, iOS or anyways, Apple. What's yeah, your thoughts yeah, on I, Apple? I mean, if we're talking iOS, uh, that's actually probably one of your more secure platforms, to, okay. to be honest. Uh, it's doesn't have quite the market space as Windows, just because number one, its cost is higher. And, you know, so Windows is a lot more attacked. Microsoft is actually doing a really good job trying to sure up their security and keep it up, but there's just a whole lot more out there. It's easier to attack. I mean, when you look at like an Apple iPhone, they're very strategic in the way they roll these things out, right? Everybody gets like the same iOSs. There's all the models are pretty much the same. There's not a big mix of different kinds of makes and models. So it makes it very easy to control yeah. what software works on what. And when you have something like the NSA who can't even break into one, you know, that makes me feel pretty good that, you know, the security on this is doing its job. Right. Yeah. They, they have to call Tim Cook to yeah, ask for exactly. help to get in there. All right. Thank you. So you should be safe um, with your Apple if iPhone. If you to store your password somewhere, that's probably your better place. Yeah. Second, <laughs> oh, in the Apple, I'll, I'll just put, put all my passwords over there. Put them in your phone, yeah. Um, or password vault. Let's see. Question, what major, oh, this is question number two. Where's your first question, Ellie? I'll get to it. All right, we'll go to 2Q. What major concerns are upcoming as more of the industry work is online and increasing AI? Are there industry-specific concern, or is it just the new normal due to the current global? Um, I can't read that. Sorry. Due to new normal due to the current global connectivity. So, what major concerns are upcoming as more of the industry work is online and increasing AI, artificial intelligence? Are there industry-specific concerns, or is it just the new normal 
due to global the connectivity. Global. Yeah, because in the last two years, everybody, yeah. I mean, in our industry, we were already remote. We were. But everybody else, and it was funny to see other industries struggle with this because we've been doing it forever. Um, but everyone went remote. How has that changed the security landscape? Yeah, I mean, everyone who's, I'd say, born in the cloud, right? You started out in the cloud. Um, these security features and functions. Yeah, we were, were we were born in the, the cloud. Sold to you as part yeah. of the package. So it makes things a lot easier, a lot cleaner. When you start looking at industries and companies that, you know, were on-prem and are trying to migrate to the cloud. And doing and it themselves. like these hybrid environments where yeah. they're trying to connect the two together. Every connection you know, is a weak up. point. Yeah. yeah, that opens up a weak point and, you know, complexity gets higher. So, you know, more chance for mistakes. But yeah, I mean, the cloud platform and relying on it, that's that's the new norm. Oscar Corros says, I told you he's been doing good coverage. The Ukrainian embassy in Spain said it had undergone cyber attacks and they had to switch to use Gmail instead of institutional email accounts. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure there's a question in there, but that's... That's a good point, though. That seems to me, though, like... Is Gmail... Anybody can create a Gmail account. Like, that seems to me really risky. Um, what What... Do you know, like, why, how, how were they taken out? If if Oscar's reporting that the Ukrainian embassy website in Spain was taken out, and he showed me screenshots before I saw it, mm -hmm. um, how did that happen? What does that even look like? Other than, I, I, you know... I, I, sorry, I guess I didn't see I'm, this one. I'm picturing someone in the Matrix, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm just an ignorant guy. I don't know much about that. Is that um, a room full of people in Moscow? Presumably. I don't want to make assumptions. Um, is it one guy? Is it one actor? How do these people... No, I, I mean, that, that probably takes a team of people, right? I mean, e even in this industry, you know, you have people who are more skilled at certain things than others. Right. And yeah. sometimes it takes three or four people with different skill sets to pull something together. So you got a guy who's like good at web good at database, good at, you know, all these different components and pull it together a team to actually make something like that happen. Um, I mean, we actually see it all the time in like viruses and things like that, where you can actually tell the programming and the language people use is a team of people of three or four people. So just by looking at the code. Yeah. And you can, you can tell you can, you can read their varying accents. Yeah. I mean, it's like two different people writing. painting a room. Just in the brush strokes alone, you can tell it's two different people. Yeah. I mean, code writing is the same way. Interesting. This is this is not a question from the audience. And if this is not your wheelhouse, that's, that's just fine because I'm actually suspicious of anybody who claims to be a metaverse expert at this point. <laughs> um, because if, if you're claiming to be a metaverse expert, you've either been doing it for 10 years or you've got something to sell me. But um, what kind of complications does, without getting into too much speculation about whether the metaverse is going to take off or not, but for now, it's, it's in the news and people are playing around with it. What kind of sure. uh, concerns does this raise? Sure. You can buy a $130,000 yacht in the metaverse. I can buy, buy $135,000 JPEG in the metaverse. You can. That's pretty well what you bought. If I want to. <laughs> Hashtag freedom. 3D JPEG is yeah. what you bought. But, I mean, it's like any other system, right? Once you get into something like that, people are going to learn to abuse it. Yeah. Uh, people are going to learn how to trick other people. I mean, again, say an NFT that doesn't even exist, you know, make well, you think that you are the original owner. And, uh, I mean, I understand you, you understand a little bit about blockchain. Yeah. You know, I mean, to say that you were actually – 
the original owner of this and it's not even in the blockchain, then. Well, I mean, putting putting code on the chain or on the block or whatever the terminology is, like just to sit there and have a record that's blockchain, verifiable, blockchain, verifiable but also you know traceable. And do I want PII on the blockchain? No, it's a horrible idea. I mean, I don't. Yep. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a blockchain expert, but neither. It's it's concerning to me. I've got a general idea how it works. So yeah. that's I've got a general, I, I researched it enough to realize I think this is a scam and I'm not going to be, oh, watch out comments section. Sorry if there's any NFT aficionados out there, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't look like a great thing right now and open to bad actors. Like you said, any yep. new technology, people are going to figure out how they can abuse it. Yep. Any new well, technology. Well, I mean, even when blockchain began, you know, the whole point was to be anonymous and quickly throughout the process, people have figured out ways to figure out who who it came from, where it was. I mean, it's not again, anonymous anymore. People are gonna, yeah. yeah, they gave up on it. It's like, eh, well, that's not working. So keep and, going. And I'm like, all right, how many, how many pyramid schemes can we define before this all blows up in our faces? But, or we've even some, seen some cases where uh, different cryptocurrencies have come up and people have invested lots of money in them and come to find out they weren't even real at all. Like it never existed. Really? Like it just didn't even exist. Right. Yep. Well, it makes sense because I mean I don't own anything, so it's like I would have to. I wouldn't even know where where to go purchase it. So if I went to a website that looked official and was like, "Give me your PayPal and I'll give you one, whatever, one Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> not one, but you know what I'm saying." Yeah, I, I I could see people falling for that. Yeah, yeah. You think in small investment here, and hopefully it grows, and then come to find out it never really existed. Yeah. What recommendations would you have? So we've talked about the virtual event, and that was a really great question, Ali. I, I appreciate the question about what concerns are there as we've gone to remote and hybrid. But let me flip that question around. That's the second um, part of that question. Is What concerns do you have as people after two years are starting to go back into the office? Is there anything that, that they should be aware of, like maybe some bad habits that people have um, picked up not working from the office? I mean, other than people not wanting to go in the office uh, on a security side, no, not really. I mean, in the office, we have a lot more control. We have yeah. firewalls and we have all sorts of stuff built into the system that we can monitor. Uh, when people went work from home, that's when things got really complicated, mm. right? Because we lose a lot of that visibility. I mean, if you're on a network, a lot of times we can see every package you ever send. We can even do something called SSL decryption, where when you go out to a encrypted website, we can actually get in the middle and see what you're doing on that website. Not that you're doing anything bad, but like if you're trying to download a malware file or something, you can actually examine it, unencrypt it, look at it, and then send it back to you. Uh, when you're at home, you're on your own internet connection. We can't do a whole lot of the stuff we can do in the office. Mm. So people are a lot better protected in the office, but I mean, their mentality, eh, eh, probably not so good. They like sitting at home in their pajamas. Yeah, yeah, that that's just the thing. It's the um, people are coming back. I, I think hybrid is going to kind of be the new normal. Um, I think so. This this vision that everyone had a year ago that the new normal was we'd all be working from home and saving the environment by not commuting. It's just not realistic. Um, yeah. Nor nor is that what people want. People want human connection. People like working with other people, and video chat is great. Live streams are great, um, but. You're like, remember, remember, I was just doing a, a stream this morning with Anne-Marie 
um, from Localization World, the, the big conference. And Ralph, Ralph from uh, Accorby, I saw he's speaking there, Ralph Bonaduce, uh-huh. um, Local Worldwide Africa. And um, I don't know where I was going with this. I got all um, thinking about thinking about Local Worldwide. Oh, with the um, going – yeah, no, I, I lost my train of thought because I saw this comment come in. So I'm just going to pretend like I didn't make an ass out of myself and segue. Oscar Koro says, some Ukrainian refugees that got – to Moldova last week found that their currency was worth nothing. The banks didn't want to pay for it. Some people said Bitcoin and crypto. Yeah, this is this is okay. Some people said Bitcoin and crypto were safer ways of keeping your money valuable. I've also heard this isn't Oscar, this is me speaking. I've also heard gold, invest in gold. Does that make sense? How do you even think of taking crypto with you as a refugee? Well, Oscar, I'll, I'll preface this by saying neither of us are crypto experts. We've probably just watched like three or four more YouTube videos than the average person on it. Um, well, I'll speak for myself. But that's about right. Yeah, that's about right. All right. So I ain't touching this one with a 10-foot pole. If you want to, be my guest, Jesse. No, I, I mean, I think there's a point to it, like storing your money in crypto because, you know, it's not going to fluctuate with your local market, right? Because you know, it's banking without banks. So as their local currency moves, your Bitcoin is going to stay at the value it's at. How you get that back out and use it in that right. environment, that's yeah, beyond me. Right. All right. Well, Jesse, I think we've been we've been at this for like 45 minutes now. And that that's my sweet spot. I, for, yeah, the 40 I minute podcast is is my sweet spot. And I've been going I, I way longer. Five of these in 24 hours. So. Well, I'm going to go. Um, I mean, shit, if I wasn't fried before this conversation, I'm pretty sure while you were talking, I actually blocked out my calendar so I can just like crawl into a fetal position and like <laughs> dwell on all of my G Suite files and that are just sitting out there for malicious actors. Oh, but Ali's Ali sent one more question. We'll we'll get you in before the buzzer. Are there top three tips? Ali, you want to come up here and host? Come on up. Are you are there top three tips you can share for small businesses owners that wear all the hats of biz and have split home on the road? Thinking particularly security software, internet are so top three tips. Or top one, one to three tips. I don't want to put you on the spot too much. For small business owners that wear all the hats. So that would be like me four years ago when Tucker Tucker and his partner started a company. Tucker was doing the WordPress, the marketing, the project management, the blah, 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 everything. You know, like I said, this is kind of like the DNA of our, our, our industry. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for those guys that are doing yeah. everything? I mean, to be honest, your best bet is to outsource this. Right. There are a lot of vendors out there who can do all the work. That is their core competency. Yeah. And all that, but they can sell you the products and ones and twos and threes at their price because they're buying in bulk, so they're selling to you for cheaper. Whereas yeah. if you went out and bought them, you'd be paying shelf price. You know, so not only will they sell them to you, but they'll actually monitor them and say, Hey, if something pops up, shoot you an email and say you might look at this. Um, it's good to have somebody in your back pocket who's watching out for you. I mean, even in a small business. Just because, again, it's not your core competency. And number one, even if you do buy some of these fancy tools that are out there, no offense, but you may not even understand what they're telling you. Exactly. Or you won't be able to read the reports that yeah. that you're getting from them anyways. Um, yeah, a lot like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a lot, a lot like um, outsourcing your HR. I mean, kind of the reasons why you would sure. do it. It's, like, it's not my core competency. 
but the risk is high if we screw this up. Yep. Um, so I want to make sure that this is done by an expert, but I don't want to pay a f- for 40 hours a week because I don't yep. need it. Just because you forgot to fill out a form. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Vera. Hi, Vera. Cyber Reason has been advertising their – do you know Cyber Reason? I do know Cyber Reason. Cyber Reason has been advertising their protection software. Would that be something you recommend to LSPs? A little bit of a selfish question since a Corby is using it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's like, ho- hello, inside track here. hello, colleague uh, who is also working ooh. at a Corby. Would you mind talking smack about the thing that we're using so that I don't have to? And I'll forward this conversation to Azam. Yeah, go for it. You're on the spot, okay. Jesse. I'm, I'm yeah, out of so here. I would say Cyber Reason's a good product since, yeah, that's the actual product we run. Uh, we've had really good luck with it. Um, we've seen it outperform some other products. Uh, again, kind of like I was saying, I mean, if if you're in the situation where you can't afford to have these things, you reach out to some of these vendors and they can sell you 10, 20, you know, the small amounts that you may need instead of like, you know, the bulk that we have to buy that we get a discount on. So uh, we've had great luck with it, obviously. So I, I'm not going to sit out there and throw a challenge out to anyone on the internet and it's say, prove me wrong. Ever. Yeah. But so far, you know, everything's run great and it's easy to implement. Um, I'll I'll teach you something. I'll teach you my consultant trick that I stole from somebody else who stole from somebody else is when someone asks you a question like that, you answer with the best tool to use is the one that you know, the best tool for the job is the one that you know how to use. Right. And that can like, I use cyber. It's not something everyone would understand how to run. Yeah. Okay. I'll stay away from it. (laughs) It's not like a semantic or something like that where it's answering the questions for you. There's a big learning curve. Awesome. All right. I'm I'm going to try this again unless anybody unless anybody puts in any more questions on, under the wire. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Um this has been a fun conversation. I'm glad my last conversation was just able to And why is it that I keep getting bearded white guys with bald heads on this show? Like, dear lord, we need some diversity. I'm just noticing that. So ladies. Just ladies. Reach out to me. I want to host you. Um, I'm done with us old white guys. Um, Jesse, it's, it's been a pleasure. This has been a really fun conversation. Yes, I'm not going to lie. Um, and a great way to end my little impromptu live stream marathon that I've been doing in the last 24 hours. Um, I'll, I'll take us out of here. Um, everybody join me in the comments down, smash that like button to show your support for Jesse. Um, this has been a really fun conversation. Once again, he's from a Corby, um, a Corby.com. If you want more information from there, they are ranked number 40. I just had it 40 something. 34. 34. At least that's what you said. Oh, I don't have the new one. Yeah. Um, oh, it's right here. 44 ranked number 44 in the Nimsy 100, which, by the way, the Nimsy 100 ranking is out, if you didn't know. It's just the ranking. The rest of the market analysis will be coming next week, I believe. And make sure to sign up for the next live stream on March 9th, where you won't even have to look at me because it'll be hosted by lead researcher, chief researcher Sarah Hickey and her team of experts to talk about the Nimsy 100. With that, I want to thank our guest, Jesse Glaceman, for joining us today and sharing his experience. I want to thank all of you guys out there in the industry who to contribute to the market research that we do. Nimsy.com forward slash participate if you want to see how you can make a difference in the industry and make your voice heard. And lastly, I want to thank everybody in chat. Everybody over here, 
for keeping this going, keeping me honest, and keeping me alive, even when I'm trying to end this on time, and you keep coming up with really great questions. With that, I'm Tucker Johnson, and we'll see you next time. Bye.